Good evening. We come to our third week of Advent, but also the third week of our preaching series of the Born Identity. In our first week, we discussed and talked about how God has a particular identity for each and every one of us, that of a beloved son or a beloved daughter of God. But many in the world try to have a claim upon our identity. Many in the world, whether they mean good or try for ill of us, they try to claim who and what we are, particularly that of the devil himself, who is doing that so that he may come to kill, steal, and destroy the good works that Christ desires to begin in each and every one of us, the good works he desires to bring to completion, the good work begun in the waters of holy baptism, which we discussed last week, how in the waters of baptism, those waters of regeneration, the old man passes away, that old identity of sin, that old identity by which we belong to the kingdom of darkness, that passes away, but we receive new citizenship, we receive new life in Christ, and we are called to be priests, prophets, and kings, building up the kingdom of God wherever we go. But say that we have done these things, that we have had that conversion of heart where we have entered into baptism, we have received this supernatural outpouring of the graces, this new life in Christ, how then are we to nourish it? How then are we to keep it growing? Because if we don't take care of it, I don't know if any of you have ever had to have house plants in your office space or anything like that, or maybe a fish aquarium, but when you stop tending to it, they tend to die. In the same way, when we do not tend to the spiritual needs, the spiritual hungers within our heart, we don't progress, we in fact regress. We may return to some of those old things that we had left behind. In a way, we return like the Israelites, how they lamented, let us return to the flesh pots of Egypt where we were satisfied even in our slavery. But Christ does not call us to go back to that. No, he calls us to go forward in boldness. And he has given us something amazing to feed us. He has given us the true bread from heaven, that of the most holy Eucharist that of his most precious body and blood, his soul, his divinity, his very presence amongst men. To quote the Catechism from 1392, paragraph, what material food produces in our bodily life, holy communion wonderfully achieves in our spiritual life. Communion with the flesh of the risen Christ, a flesh given life and given in giving life through the Holy Spirit, preserves, increases, and renews the life of grace received at baptism. This growth in the Christian life needs the nourishment of Eucharistic communion, the bread for our pilgrimage until the moment of death. The Eucharist becomes the food for the journey. Christ himself gives us himself that we may have nourishment on the path towards him. And the spiritual, as Fulton Sheen would say, as he said in one of his many speeches, one of his many talks during his television programs and radio programs, talks about how the natural reflects the spiritual. And the natural is seen more perfect in the spiritual life. So thus, as we grow, we are what we eat. We become what we eat in the natural. You know, you put good food in, you put good things in, good things happen, the body becomes strong, it becomes healthy. 
But if we put bad things into us, you know, put that junk food and all the grimi and all the, the grease from the boudin balls and all that, you become a boudin ball yourself, as Father Champagne said at the retreat. But there's a reality to this. When we begin taking Christ as our nourishment, we become who and what we receive. We become incorporated into the mystical body of Christ. We become more conformed to the image and likeness of Christ, that image and likeness that we initially lost due to sin, as our first parents lost due to the original sin. Christ restores that, and he continues to nurture it. To quote the Catechism again in 1394, by giving himself to us, Christ revives our love, our love and enables us to break our disordered attachments to creatures and root ourselves in him. You know, one of the people come to me all the time in the confessional like, Father, how do I get this sin out of my life? How do I root this out? How do I eradicate it from my life? And I says, I tell them usually, flee to the sacrament of confession and cling to our Lord in the Eucharist. Because by receiving him, by becoming more conformed, we turn away from those sins, from those vices. We turn away from those creaturely things and we turn to him who is the creator for our nourishment, for our strength, for our comfort. Again, as we said, the Eucharist, it's his body, his blood, his soul, his divinity. We become what we receive. And we are truly what we consume in the altar, upon, from the, the bread from the altar. In John 6, 51, Christ says, the bread that I will give is my flesh for the life of the world. And he also says in two verses later, unless you eat the flesh of the son of man and drink his blood, you do not have life within you. And then a little later, he says, my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in him. This is one of the many reasons why we call receiving the Eucharist communion. Because firstly, we become, we, as we humbly receive him, he receives us. As we receive him under the species of bread and wine, he receives us and thus we are incorporated into his mystical body. We sing that beautiful hymn, one body, one union, one flesh in Christ. As we sing in that, that beautiful communion hymn, we are one body. It's because we do become that. And thus in becoming as part of that mystical body, we become in communion with him and he has communion with us. We have that relationship, that ultimate relationship that gives us the life to go out and live what he has called us to do. The Eucharist is a who and not a what. For too often, too many people, they just simply see the Eucharist as just the elements of the bread and the wine. They said, Father, man, I wanna receive the wine again. And I'm just like, there's a problem there if you're still seeing the, the precious blood in the, in the chalice as simply wine because it has become such more than that in the holy sacrifice of the mass. The bread becomes so much more. It is truly him and who we profess it is. One of the beautiful quotes is that the Eucharist makes the church 
and the church makes the Eucharist, that it builds in this cycle, that as we draw deeper into a Eucharistic life, we gain more life and the church continues to flourish. And one of the things that I always try to tell people is, because they come to me like, Father, I'm not getting anything from Mass. I'm, I receive him, but I don't feel changed. And my response is, how have you prepared yourself for Mass? How have you prepared yourself to receive the King of the universe? Have you prayed before Mass with such fervor saying, Lord, I want you to enter into me. Lord, I want to draw closer to you. Lord, I want to believe. Typically, as a priest before Mass, I pray the prayer of St. Thomas Aquinas, which goes through this great litany of, Lord, I am a sinner. I do not deserve to receive you. But yet I am called to, yet you call me to receive you. Lord, under these veiled elements, allow me to see you. Allow me to receive the flesh that Our Lady gave to you that I now receive from the altar. And typically, another thing is the tradition of giving thanksgiving after Mass. How many of us after Mass, after receiving the Eucharist, when we go to kneel, that we pray those words, Lord, thank you for allowing me an unworthy servant to receive from the master's table, to receive not just a good thing, but to receive you. Our rector at the seminary hammered that home to us that as priests, that as future priests, we seminarians should spend at least five minutes in the chapel after mass, praying and thanksgiving for being able to be at mass, to celebrate it freely without fear of persecution and to receive our Lord daily. When we do, when we begin to cultivate such fervor in our hearts, a Eucharistic fervor, transformations begin to happen. And the other way we can foster Eucharistic fervor in our parish is in a place that unfortunately is being used but could be used so much more, that of our lovely and beautiful Adoration Chapel. Right now, we're kind of having a push. We're wanting to get back to 24 hours of adoration throughout the week. And as Father Champagne related in his mission on Thursday, he talked about how there's these, like he gave the example of two towns, how they, they wanted to foster vocations in their town. And I hear so often from people how they lament, they see me as a young priest, like, oh, we're so happy that you became a priest, but oh, we need so many more. And my response is, how much time are you putting in the chapel to pray for those vocations? If we want more vocations that come out of our parish, we need to put time before our Lord adoring. And I was so happy with Father Champagne talking about how the first Eucharistic adores was that of Our Lady and that of St. Joseph, the Holy Family. They, those two were the first two Adoration. They had the first adoration slot that Christmas night, looking upon our Lord with such love, such tenderness, with such fervor and joy and hope for the things to come. We too need to emulate them. We need to always be emulating the Holy Family. And that is an emulation in a Eucharistic life. And by receiving him, as I said, we become what we eat. The early church fathers talk about this process. They call it divinization. And to quote St. Athanasius, one of the great early church fathers, 
describing the incarnation and the reason for the incarnation of Christ, for him taking on flesh. He says, God became man so that man could become like God. That man could become like God. To become the fullness of what he intended for us when he made our first parents in the garden. It's such a beautiful reality, but the problem is there's so many lies in the world. The enemy always comes to kill, steal, and destroy. And it's the same thing with our fervor, our belief in the Eucharist, the belief in our Lord. The serpent said to the woman, you will certainly not die. No, God knows well that the moment you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God's who know what is good and what is bad in Genesis 3, 4 to 5. The, the devil tempted them with the gift of what God wanted to give them, what he intended to give them. But instead of receiving it as gift, they grasped and they took what was not theirs to take, what was not yet theirs. And the enemy wants us to be like God without him. He wants us to be like God, but without God. He wants us to make ourselves gods unto ourselves. And that is what happens when we divorce ourselves from a Eucharistic life, when we divorce ourselves from a sacramental life. Because when we are adoring, when we're looking at our Lord, when we're receiving him, we know who and what God is. We know that he is in the Eucharist. But when we divorce ourselves, we disassociate ourselves, we, dis we divorce ourselves from the identity that he gave us in the baptismal font. And the enemy, he tells us lies like the Eucharist is only a symbol. It's not what they really say it is. It's just the symbol. We don't need it. That mass is not a big deal. That the church's teachings are out of date and irrelevant. Or another one from an opposite end. You have to be perfect to receive Jesus and you are not perfect. That is a lie the enemy puts so often into the hearts of so many that it keeps them from receiving the very bread of life. Their souls shrivel because they are not receiving our Lord and it's as if they're on a deserted island and they have no food and they, or the image that comes to mind is many of the POWs from the Bataan death, death March in the Philippines. When you look at them after their years of captivity, they're unrecognizable. And when we divorce ourselves from the true food and the true drink, that is what happens to our souls. It begins to become unrecognizable because it becomes now nourished, now malnourished. And thus the devil begins tempting us with other things. Or he also will say, God would never love you enough. He doesn't love you that much to, humil to humiliate himself upon the cross and to continue humiliating himself, to continue humbling himself upon the altar, to continue the eternal sacrifice of Calvary. But the truth is these are simply lies. Christ at each and every mass makes known the sacrifice his great love for us and he continues to feed us. He continues to feed his flock as, as what he is, the good shepherd. So then what are we to do? First is we need to increase our fervor by preparing ourselves and giving thanksgiving before and after every reception of our Lord in the Eucharist. 
We need to become a parish that is Eucharistic adores. And we have an opportunity with the sign up for the 24 hour adoration. If we slowly, we're going to go from three to four to five to six, ultimately, hopefully, praise God, to seven. But it takes people to step out in courage and say, I will take an hour in the night. I will answer the Lord's call. Can you stay awake with me one hour in prayer, looking upon me? I think of the a story from the curé of ours. He encountered an older man early one morning in the church and he asked the old man, what was he doing? Because he was staring at the tabernacle so intensely. And this old farmer goes, I have come to look at my God and my God has come to look at me. <laughs> it's something powerful that God wants us to spend time with him in such an intimate way. We could also go to confession. We hear in St. Paul that those who receive unworthily in 1 Corinthians, that because some of you have received communion unworthily, that is why some of you have fallen ill. And that is why some of you have even died. We want to have a pure and good heart to receive our Lord always. And one of the ways is by going to confession by which we are reconciled, we're brought back into relationship with him. And in that way, we stop living in the old man. We stop living those lives of sin. We stop living in that identity the devil wants us to live in. And we begin living in the identity that Christ has made for us. So in that way, we begin to live our born identity because we are nourished to do so. May we have such Eucharistic fervor always within our hearts and our minds. Amen.